Today is a brand new day. And you have a choice to start transforming your life. Because when you commit to find the keys to unlock your true potential, you will unleash your superhuman powers. If you want to discover how to crush self-doubt, master productivity, bend time, accelerate your learning and more, you need to join us today. Because this is the Superhuman Playbook Podcast. Friends, welcome to the world of miracles. Hey, superhumans, welcome back to the Superhuman Playbook Podcast. Today's episode is really exciting to me because it really captures one of the main reasons why we started this podcast in the first place. We wrote the Superhuman Playbook in an effort to help people reach their superhuman potential, but obviously one book isn't going to cover all of the bases. And so this podcast is really meant to extend and expand that mission and help us to share these revolutionary ideas and concepts with more people and help them to reach their potential. And so today's topic is really near and dear to my heart, and it didn't really get covered well in the book. And honestly, the main reason for that was because the the publishing timeline just didn't line up with this specific author's availability, and so the content wasn't able to be included. Uh, so I'm really excited to be able to rectify that with today's conversation. So the topic that we're talking about is really the diversity in the way that people think and how that affects our behavior and the way that we learn. The truth is, in the traditional education system, we tend to teach towards the average in an attempt to help the most people to learn. The problem is nobody is actually average. There is a huge range in the way that our brains work and the way that people think. And so the more you deviate from that average, the more challenging and discouraging learning can be. No one is more well-equipped to talk about this idea than my guest today. His name is Jamie Banks. He is a polyglot student, teacher, and coach and has studied and practiced in fields ranging from Renaissance poetry, evolutionary biology, to pure math and physics, to ancient Greek and Latin literature, and so much more. Jamie is one of those people that seems to have studied or tried just about anything you can think of, and is really passionate about helping students who fit into a category called twice exceptional. Uh, we're going to talk about what that means and why it's important to understand in the episode, but I won't give too much away right now. Anyway, I am extremely excited for today's interview, and I know it's going to be uh, a really special one. So without further ado, Jamie Banks. Hey, Jamie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me, Colin. Very excited. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm super excited too. Now, I already shared a little bit in the intro, um, and I think you've got a lot of really unique experiences and a unique skill set to share about. So don't want to waste any time. I just want to jump right into that. So would you be willing to share a little bit about your background, your story, and how you got to where you are today? 
Yeah, sure. Um, it's a mess, but a pretty one, I think is how I would call it. Um, I, uh, I did, um, I grew up in like working class uh, neighborhood, um, went to Stuyvesant, which is a magnet, um, high school for math and science, but secretly has a great English department and kind of fell in love with writing there too. Um, so I continued to be very indecisive and studied both math and English when I was at Harvard. Um, and then, um, I became a teacher. I was really deciding between teaching and mental health and, uh, we'll get to that, I'm sure. But, um, I, I really like kind of both the research side of things and the human side of things. Um, and, um, right now I am a PhD student in classics. So, um, it's a terrible name for a field, but what it means is, um, for me is Latin literature and adding in some science. Um, so that's sort of professionally, um, yeah, other than that, um, I think it's just in terms of background, it's all over the place. I do, I've done like theater, acting. I really enjoy like improv. Um, and I actually, right now I'm doing uh, improv in German, um, but to, to boost my language skills. So like, um, yeah, but some through lines, um, I really like adding arts into all my learning and all my just, uh, spontaneous life. And, um, I somehow like the very, broad range of interest sometimes it just feels like my ADHD pulling me everywhere but somehow mm -hmm. it's worked out and I found other people who like have similarly messy backgrounds that somehow bring you to interesting places <laughs> yeah I, <laughs> I love how normal you made all that sound you just kind of breeze through it it's like oh yeah Harvard you know and German improv <laughs> um, so there's there's obviously a lot of of really interesting aspects to both what you do and how you learn um so I want to dig into that. So how would you describe yourself as a learner? Right. Um, so there's this term I learned when I started teaching, and it's called twice exceptional. Um, and it's something, it's it's not a diagnosis, it's an identity, I think. And it means that, um, you know, growing up, like, I, I, I sort of was the, like, I hate school but love learning type that we see a lot with super learners. But I also, like, was really good at school, just at a cost. A lot of anxiety, a lot of, like, you know, just um, giving up social stuff, just like a lot of stress and, um, that kind of thing. So this twice exceptional thing, I found it, and I found it really empowering because the idea is, um, your brain doesn't necessarily work like other people's does. Maybe it's a mental health thing. Maybe it's, um, trauma or, um, autism or various different things. It could be a lot of different, um, what some people would call disabilities or other people would just call, uh, neurodiversity. So your brain just being different, more different than most people's are. <laughs> um, but that you also have this really kind of deep curiosity and interest in often many different fields. And then maybe, maybe you like flunked out of a gifted and talented program or you were bored in a special ed program. There's many ways to come there. Um, but I, I kind of took on the label of twice exceptional as something that fits really well and that I want there to be more stories about out there. Awesome. And I did want to give you a very, uh, quick opportunity to to brag on yourself a little bit can you tell us a little bit about you know what you've accomplished in your both in your academic career and the languages you've learned everything like that real quick sure long um, so list, but <laughs> I'm, I'm really bad at the bragging myself um let's see um With permission go for it all right um let's see in high school i did some independent research um i placed fourth in the intel science competition um so i started out in like more math kind of area um, but, um, I also, um, let's see some highlights. 2016, I was at the National Black Theater, um, doing a one, one person show, um, at, at, that I wrote and performed. Um, and 
uh, language wise, um, I actually speak Latin as in like, it's not a dead language to me. I'm working on Greek, ancient Greek. Um, let's see, Italian, Spanish, Italian and Spanish. I teach both of those, uh, German. I'm working on it. Modern Greek. I'm working on it for me. It, it's like more like what the story is as opposed to like a number, you know, mm, but, yeah, uh, for sure. you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And you said you're, are you at Harvard now or was that that earlier? No, that was uh, undergrad. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Very cool. On scholarship, just to be clear. <laughs> not <laughs> That's not me bragging on myself. That's the like, it's a working class thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. So like you mentioned, you've been a teacher, you are a teacher and you coach students. Um, so I know you, you focus on a, a specific group of students. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you share more about that group and why that's your focus? Yeah. Um, so it relates to what I said before about the twice exceptional label. Um, most of the time people don't come to me with like that. They were like, I'm twice exceptional because no one's heard of that. Um, but it's uh, my favorite kind of people to work with are folks who, you know, they might have a file, like a real thick file of like either like, you know, if they're younger, they were like in detention a lot or they had like hospital stays or trauma or that kind of stuff. And like, just like some, no one's kind of, they've kind of coasted through school and no one's kind of figured them out. Um, but there, and there are people complain, the teachers complain that, you know, really smart, but you know, there's always the, but, um, and you know, a delight to have in class, but never does any work, that kind of thing. So that's the, the kid version of that, who I work with. Um, the adult version of that is like people who have a really strong identity as learners. Like they don't have any problem with like, creativity or curiosity or they don't have any like like it's just like they already have like their like journals or creative practices and all this stuff but they might struggle more with like um with habits or routines or also with their like self-image so they might be really hard on themselves or perfectionists and often that comes from like a school history where like there is some kind of disconnect um whether that's trauma of like a more um what people typically think of as trauma like uh medical or abuse or that kind of stuff but it's also um just feeling like you're a failure at school for so long is its own trauma as we like both know. Um, so people who like, I feel like they haven't been seen and they can't figure themselves out. And I try and kind of help like listen to the story, pull out the threads and say like, is this maybe part of it? You know? Yeah, for sure. And, and for the listeners out there, like Jamie is the person I go to when it comes to, working with people or students who have been labeled with xyz learning disability really all that means is they don't fit with what the normal expectations are and so whoever their teachers or whatever no fault of theirs but they don't know how to teach them like the other kids and i think that's it's really a shame that that's the case and it makes sense that it is but you're left with so many of these students who have this incredible capacity to succeed and the only reason they can't is because the people who are teaching them and the society and the you know schools they go to just don't know how to handle them don't know how to help them yeah. reach their potential so i that's why i i love this conversation i'm so glad we're bringing this more into the the public view because we need more people like you who are able to bring those people with such potential to their full potential and show them that hey you're not yeah. <laughs> You're not lesser than. Yeah, and you know, as you're, you're saying different. that, that's okay. Yeah. That's great. And that's the thing is like, 
people have told a lot of for a lot of these people, like the kids or the adults, like people have told like they even if they've had someone who's told them like I see I see the potential see the potential in you and like you're really smart and all this stuff, they don't believe it. Because mm-hmm. like they see their grades and they see like people saying they're smart and they're exactly. like, No, I'm not. Look at my, you know, thing. <laughs> um and the other thing I find is that like and I, I experienced this really vividly when I had a student who was in crisis and like the parent um was you know, had all this language there, like, you know, you have this wrong with you and this wrong with you and this wrong with you, you know, and he started with like, you know, you're really smart, but, and then like had a whole catalog, mm-hmm. like, you know, three pages long of like all this stuff wrong. And I think I want like people to have just as much language for the stuff they're good at and love and enjoy as for like this, the labels that are like a problem, quote unquote. Yeah, <laughs> that's so powerful. And what you just brought up reminded me, like when it comes to forming new beliefs, this is something I found personally and, and with the people I've coached, it's critical to have evidence. So yeah. like having just affirmations that you repeat to yourself, that can be great. But if you never have evidence that those things are true, eventually right. your brain is going to say, no, that's right. actually not true. It's almost going to become like a sarcastic, uh, sarcastic thing to you. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm going to say this to myself. Yeah. Yeah. You just trust yourself. Um, you don't have that. You feel like it's not honest. And then you're like, where am I? Right. Um, with that. Yeah. So um, and that's, what, what are some of the ways that you help people to see that evidence? Sure. Um, I think um, the biggest thing is finding ways to um, of how your own brain works rather than like how brains should work. Because like with a lot of the productivity stuff and, you know, personal growth, self-help, all this stuff, there's like, it's written by people who are like very organized or really love like, you know, office supplies or any of this stuff. And um, so sometimes that, you know, whether it's resources. So I'll really kind of do like, you know, first at first, it's just kind of like a big interview and mostly I'm just listening and hearing like. I really want like, let's drill down. Like, what's your day? Like walk me through like the whole learning process. Walk like, either like, Oh, I spent an hour studying. Well, you know, what happened in that hour? What were you telling yourself? Kind of get a really good picture. Um, and that's what I think is missing with like in special ed, like, cause you were talking about the people who are labeled with learning disabilities. Um, but in general is like really drilling down into um, how an individual's particular like brain and thinking works and also being, but also being able to tie that to like, it makes sense that your brain works that way. Cause there's some research about like how people like you, um, typically like do things. So at once, like getting into the unique things about one person, but also there's often really a feeling of like, I'm the only one I'm alone and no one can understand or fix this. And there usually is a sense that like it has to be fixed. Um, so yeah, so sometimes the evidence is just like if, if they're already experiencing success, like finding those little moments or when I'm coaching, like they were like, you know, they'll be like, oh, you know, today was an awful, this was an awful week. Like I didn't, I didn't do what we said we would, blah, blah, blah. You know, and then, then like I hear at the end, they're like, oh, you know, I did, you know, I, I had a 30 minute conversation in French. I'm like, excuse me, <laughs> you know, let's celebrate that. Um, so it's catching them out on the things that they don't, that they did do, but don't notice. Uh, pumping up the celebrations, but also in terms of the evidence, like I'm also a research head and I'll definitely give people articles and be like, this may be how your brain works. Like, think about it. Cause a lot of people really are more science minded folks who like, they, like you said, you know, people start to not believe the, 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 the um, not, not believe sort of affirmations. I think for a lot of the people I work like that, that not believing window is like, that comes very quickly. Yeah. Um, 
no, it really has to be like um, some external kind of evidence to not just like things from their daily life. Yeah, exactly. And and one of the things that you, you brought up, you know, how people's brains simply just work differently. Uh, this is something that kind of shocked me. And looking back, it's like, why was that shocking to you? <laughs> but when I very first started coaching people, just realizing some things worked really well for some people and did not work at all for others. And when I started to push into that, I started to realize that there are some things and I'd love our listeners to try this out, but there are some very basic like internal sensory functions that are Mm -hmm. completely different even between people who would be in that quote unquote normal group. (laughs) Yeah. So everything from, you know, I've had people I've worked with where when they're trying to visualize something, we use a lot of visual techniques they see in black and white in their head. Yeah. And I never would have thought about that as being a thing like I see in color, but then you have some people who are extremely strong with their spatial awareness but then when they actually try to focus in on details of like mental images, they're really fuzzy. Oh yeah. That's me. Yeah. Ninth yeah. Percentile exactly. in details, but really <laughs> exactly. like I was a tough all geometer. Yeah. <laughs> and once I started to explore that, I was like, it totally makes sense why this exercise is really hard for you, but this one you just yeah. knock out of the park. But that's something like when I was in school, we never talked about any of that. We never explored the differences between how people's brains worked. It was just everyone yeah. was expected to do the same thing and get the same results. Yeah. And but, I think like that excitement that I'm hearing in your voice of like, wow, like you see in black and white, like that's where I want people to be. And that's also like mm. the power of talking about this stuff is it's like, oh, cool. You're like that rather than like, ew, you're like that, you know, which is like the middle school reaction that like right. is the last time anyone <laughs> talked about this instead of study skills class. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think you're pointing to something else important, which is, um, it's so varied and so much more fine grained than we think it is that like there are, you know, fairly universal principles. Like we do work with visual techniques, but that like visual doesn't is like a very broad label for a whole, like, you know, zoo and family and, you know, of, <laughs> uh, of uh, different, different kind of things going on. Um, and I think um, that's what, and I think like when I coach, oftentimes it's like, not that like, you know, people might have trouble with a particular technique or exercise or applying in a particular area, but it's often more like the identity shift and the shift in their narrative of who they are. And then we're like doing some of that work of like kind of redesigning or designing your life more how you want. And then the other stuff, the like particular techniques, a memory palace or a mind map or that kind of thing kind of falls in place because you're ready for it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even with things like I have people I work with who They'll be like, is this the right way to do a memory palace or is this the (laughs) right way to approach reading this kind of topic? And Uh (laughs) it always comes back to, okay, well, well, what works for you? What do you want to get out of it? And just because I do a memory palace this specific way that I'm doing that because that's the way my brain works the most effectively, but you have sensory abilities that are completely different from mine. So let's explore how to leverage those rather than just yeah. trying to copy and paste what I do onto you. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to really, I want to really like harp on that point because I think people don't, cause like, you know, like, especially like maybe in the last 10, 15 years, there's like more acceptance, at least sort of in our language and rhetoric of like people who are, whose brains are different and who work differently. And we talk about different abilities rather than disabilities, that kind of stuff. But people, so people, I think sometimes when people hear that, that like everyone's different, they're like, yeah, yeah, but there still is a right way to do it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think what like literally actually the the cognitive science says is that like, yes, there are principles and we, but they are only these 
situations that we can use to design our own individual program for each person. Like, it's not like we have nothing in common, of course, there are learning principles, but um, it's so much more complicated than that. And that it's the complication that makes an individual. It's not like the, it's all good. Let's accept everyone. And, you know, it's all fine. Whatever you do, there are ineffective and effective ways to do things, but it's by person, you know, exactly. like you're saying. Yeah. I love that. I think, man, I wish I, <laughs> I wish we could just immediately convince everyone of that truth because I, I do think it's a hard <laughs> truth to accept, especially if you've lived your whole life feeling like you're out of place or you just can't do things the right way. Yeah. All right. So uh, I did want to ask, what are some some common experiences that you find with students who've had a, like a bad school experience? How do you help them to form a more joyful form of learning mm-hmm. for themselves? Yeah, um, I think a lot of it has to do with that getting out of that, like the, the, what's the what's the right way to do it? Um, and so a lot of I meditation is really useful for a lot of folks who I work with, um, but just more broadly. So that's something I really harp on uh, with a lot of the books um, I work with, whether it's coaching or teaching or whatever. But in general, just like a light way of observing yourself without judging yourself so that they're getting this data about themselves and they're learning about themselves, but they're not doing the immediate like sort of beast that jumps in on us and says like, that was wrong. You didn't do that right. And sort of like getting rid of that chatter. So um Specifically, what I, I often kind of kind of have people kind of log, but log means different things. So, like some people, for example, might be like really stressed by like recording what they're doing every thirty minutes, and some people might find it really useful. So, log in like a productive way for them, um, just kind of get a sense of where they are right now, and that's always where I start. Uh, but I think that can be really powerful. I was really scared to do it when I was at first because like they, someone had me like this was years ago someone had me like write a log of like every half hour what I was doing with my time and I was like oh my god like I'm I'm a, I'm like a terrible person I'm not productive at all like this is going to be really bad and like it's going to be like a come to Jesus moment and I was like you know what I do some cool stuff in the end so I started out with that kind of stuff um the other thing um there's this great book uh ADHD friendly ways to organize your life and um the I don't remember the author but um it was um the first time where I had someone who like, I'm not sure if she has ADHD or not, but she writes for people like she had clearly understands it because she said like the thing where like you pick up one, you like every time you walk into a room, your messy room, you pick up one sock or, you know, clean for five minutes and then you'll end up cleaning more. That doesn't work for some people. Um, so it's a lot about also energy, um, like how you feel throughout the day, just kind of seeing like, when do I work best? Not just like, am I a morning person or an evening person or something, but like, do I feel energized after a walk, for example, like, especially in the pandemic times, mm-hmm. like finding, um, finding your patterns, finding your patterns, I think it's the, broad, the broadest thing. And then working with them rather than working against them and saying like, but they should be this. So right. it's po- like both the sort of acceptance of like, um, this is how they are. And maybe I don't like some of that, but also like I can work with that because I've been working with it my whole life. <laughs> so um, what are some ways that people can find those patterns? Um, I think it's about kind of sometimes like people can have, you can kind of prompt yourself. You can, you can like, even like, you know, set a timer on your phone or your watch or whatever and say like, okay, um, I'm going to like, you know, stop for a second and say like, you know, how am I doing? Something as simple as that, or just check, I'm going to check in with myself, you know? Um, it can be, um, it can be just like, you know, a graph of what, for like energy, it can be like that, 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 and that you, so I'm sorry, um, you need sort of like a, a trigger 
you know, like, like we do for habits, but just also for like, you know, a consistent like recordings so that that way you're not just recording when you notice it. Cause if you're recording, when you notice it, the data is real biased, mm-hmm. um, you want to be recording, you want to pick like, okay, you know, when I eat breakfast, I'm going to write down, you know, I'm going to journal about, you know, how much energy I have or whatever the county you're kind of trying to find the patterns about. Um, so yeah, just like with habits, you're linking it to something you already do, or you're using kind of like a every hour or whatever. Um, but the main thing is, um, however you kind of get yourself to do it, to, to make the data a good, like reality check rather than just sort of like the highs and the, the really highs and the really lows of whatever it is. Um, making sure you have like some external trigger that's telling you when to do it rather than like when I feel like it or when I remember. Right. Yeah. I think that's both with, um, with habit forming and measuring, uh, cause you know, we, we talk about like what gets measured gets managed. And I think, um, things like that, it's kind of comes back to that. There's a, this right way to do it. <laughs> and if people mm-hmm. feel like, oh, I don't want to do it that way, or I don't, that, that scares me or that's intimidating, they won't do anything. Yeah. And so, yeah. And that's the case here too. Like if you're not a graph person, like I'm an engineer by yeah. background, so I would love to just put on Excel, like graph it all out. <laughs> If you're not that yeah. kind of person, don't do it that way. <laughs> like you don't need to do it yeah. that way. And I think that's something that's that's really important to realize. And that's the true with habits too. Like there are specific universals that make them work well for just about anybody, but yeah. it doesn't mean you have to do it that way. Like find what works for yeah. you. Find the triggers that work for you that are comfortable for you. And find that like, the minimum viable or what. Yeah, uh, exactly. BJ the tight the exactly um, on the anchor. Find the like minimum habit that's going to get you kind of progress right just get started wherever wherever you can and that's okay and that's something worth celebrating yeah i think the other thing is that like well two more things one is that like if you're not an engineer like you or okay i like graphs too but um (laughs) um you know journal you know people are like oh that's that's like soft that's qualitative whatever like they you know it's like not data but it is data like you know the sociologist would be like that's what they do they go out in the field and they write about you know what they see um, so like journaling with a particular prompt or even like free writing is also like data about what your brain is doing right now. So it really is, there's like the, the wrong way to do it would be the way that stresses you out so that you don't mm. do it. That's about, that's the main one, I think. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite quotes, and I really need to find out who said this first, cause I'm not quite sure, but, um, it's the system that works is the one that you actually use. And that's yeah. so true. <laughs> yeah. If if you feel intimidated by something and it just feels like you want to pull your hair out every time you do it, it's not a good way to do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's another thing I think I, le- I learned is like, you know, you talked about kind of um, to make it learning more joyful. You asked me uh, earlier and I think, you know, so often we, you know, we have this just narrative, whether it's societal or our parents or just from us and it's internalized of like what I should do. It's not just that, like, we have a lot of angst and pain of, like, you know, the gap between, like, what we should do and what we're doing. But it's also, like, we're not people, we're not, like, just, like, like, humans are wired to, like, move and act and, you know, and make meaning. So, like, now I'm getting philosophical. But um, but Go the point it. is, you know, if if we follow what we're, like, deeply excited about, not, like, you know, our cravings, not, like, okay, every time I want to borrow chocolate, I'm just going to do it. Okay, that's different. But like if we follow like our real deep, like this is important to me, then you're going to be doing stuff. You're not just going to be sitting on the couch, you know? So 
I try and think of it, I guess what I'm getting at is I try and think of it less as like these sort of hacks to like get you to do stuff and like mm. get you out of your natural vegetative state. Like I don't believe that people are naturally vegetative, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's something that um, actually Peter and I talked about in the first episode, kind of in a different context, but I think it's a good reminder. Um, if you're really struggling with motivation, chances are that whatever you're trying to do is something that you have no passion for and you don't really want to do. And so it's worth asking, yeah. why am I doing this in the first place? Am I doing this? Is this my goal or is this somebody else's goal? Yeah. And in a, in a teaching context, I think that's exactly, is it my goal or someone else's goal for kids when I work with them or, you know, also university students, students in general, um, there are, you know, like, it's like, is there something wrong with the kid or is there something wrong with the curriculum? Mm, yeah. And it's sort of the same thing where, you know, you, it's not, you know, there's some things that, you know, even if you have to do something, you can still find a motivation for it often that like connects with like why, why you signed up to do it or why, you know, why you have to do it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we've talked, we've definitely touched on this a bit, um, but I've seen this be an issue so many times. I think it's worth maybe really digging into on a, a practical and nitty gritty level. And that's perfectionism. So all the time, uh, and again, we've touched on this, but one of the, probably the main issue that I see when I'm working with students or professionals having trouble with adopting a new style of learning is that perfectionism feeling like they have to get it right. Not only do they have to get it right, they have to get it right the first time and they don't want to start until they are confident yeah. they can get it right that first time. <laughs> so how can somebody get a, cultivate a more relaxed and playful attitude towards learning yeah um different ways for different people one thing is like so a lot of people come in and they want to like you know get really good at something better professionally or get really quick at something and stuff like that sometimes I find if you choose something that like you're actually a total beginner at like me like I started sketching recently I haven't sketched since like kindergarten <laughs> with any regularity um and i find i'm much you know i'm like i'm not expecting it to be good so i it's a i i'm much more experimental and i'll try out new things and just kind of notice things um so actually sometimes I, when i work with people it's like let's pick something that's really low stakes for you and try and learn that you know and apply mm -hmm. it to that or just apply it to like um you know fun little like daily life stuff and like not go straight for like what most people are they're like no but like i have the test or i have the certification or the the um the big thing because if you have so much of your identity wrapped up in that you have so much unlearning to do that like you're you're like you know you're going into you know whatever the metaphor is you're going into you know a gunfight with a with a stick or something you know <laughs> but um, you're, you know you're not um there we go yes thank you <laughs> um, <laughs> um so you know start with something that's low stakes and like and and like i think that can be a coach's role too partly it's just like really is like reminding folks but you can get to reminding coaching yourself and remind yourself that like um it takes time you know you didn't get in a situation where you're really radically trying to change how you learn um in you know you woke up one day and you were like oh this has to happen right now you know there's usually some kind of pretty deep like or pretty motivating thing or pretty kind of long-standing or thing you know um so knowing that that's just going to take time and that in the meantime, might as well have fun, you know? So like, and that also, and I, I don't, it, that sounds kind of flippant, but um, I, I really think it's important. And I think like 
um, two things I want to bring up. One is um, just the power of like games, you know, word games, for example, not like not the games that we talk about, like, you know, the 20 random words, although that too can be a like, fun creative exercise of people. Um, yeah. They just wanted to get the scores and stuff, but um, <laughs> um, treating it as like, wow, look what my brain can come up with. Um, wow. And I, maybe that's part of it too. It's just treating it as like, wow, look what I can do rather than wow, look what I can't do. It's, it's, it's actually, which is actually kind of a small shift. You know, if you can just automatize that, you know, like there's the like intellectual way that we know that like what's, you know, we know that like we should, it's more effective to be nicer to ourselves. Um, but then like automatizing the like every time I have the thought that I should, you know, be that I, that there's one way to do this, like think of three other ways to do it or just kind of like it's these triggers for like mental habits or sort of mental shifts where you, it, because the script is so automatic, I'm sorry, I'm rambling a little bit, but um, because the script is so auto, is so internalized and strong that like you ha- you want to step in between, you know, step in between stimulus and response. How do you do that? You um, you kind of develop your new new kind of like almost not mantras, almost or whatever you want to call it. For like every time I have this sort of thought or or this comes up, I'm gonna like cue myself. Cues. There we go. Um, cue myself to like try this new technique to like, you know, do a body scan and check in like where my anxiety level is, or, um, I'm gonna, you know, um, go eat a banana or, you know, or like check into my energy level, you know, um, not that you have to do the same thing every time, but the, the cue is the same every time mm-hmm. and where, where you're interrupting that like automatic thought because really where we get stuck is in that perfectionism it's built and we have layers and layers of narratives about it. And in order to start breaking that down, we got to start with something really small, but you, like your brain isn't going to stop like abusing you for like 10 minutes, but it might stop if you surprise it for like, you know, two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> and if you can get that window in there and say like, wait, stop, I have something to say. Um, however you do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of like <laughs> driving yeah. that wedge in the, in the door. You got to, you got to get your foot in the door before you can open it the rest of the way kind of thing. If you yeah. can at least get those two seconds, then maybe you can get three and then maybe you can get four. Yeah. And just If you can at least get there. your two seconds, then like, then, then the thing that always quote always happens, you know, oh, like whenever I do this, I'm always like this, you know, like it, it, it gets away from that black and white thinking because it opens up the possibility that something else will happen. Mm, yeah. That evidence exactly for forming new beliefs. And I, I love this. This is a, this is really tying into the several episodes. I'm getting excited <laughs> thinking of all the connections uh, that reminded me of when I talked to Antoine just a little bit, just a little bit ago, we talked about that bracelet technique. And again, this isn't necessarily um, advice for anybody to do it this way, but find something similar that works for you. Just so for those who haven't listened to this episode, um, the, the bracelet challenge or bracelet technique is essentially just when you want to change something about your thought patterns, you have that thought be the cue to move the bracelet to the other wrist. And all that does is it gives you a moment of pause where you're, you know, you have to take that second to move that bracelet to the other wrist. It gives you that second, like that two seconds you just talked about to pause and think about what's going on in your head. Cause if you're not being aware of it, it's really hard to change. So that gives you that, that little space of awareness. So it doesn't have to be a bracelet, but find something for you that gives you the opportunity to take a couple seconds to yeah. be aware and you know of what? what's going on. 
um, one thing um, I use the waking up app for meditation. I moved mm-hmm. to that from Headspace. And one thing I really like about that Sam Harris talks about is like those, those moments that you're talking about where you can like stop and like get your two seconds could happen. Like, like there are zillions of transitions throughout your day. And like from like, you know, getting up from a chair to like go yeah. somewhere else, you know, like, it's it's those mini tiny moments that we're looking for because like you know you, a lot of people will be like oh but I don't have like you know fifteen minutes to like evaluate my life mm. it's not that it's not that at all and like we know that but like an intellectually you might know that but like we have thousands of transitions throughout the day um, it's just anytime you move like your body into a new situation or like a new cognitive context a new activity you're doing a new person you're talking to a new space you're walking into you know all of those can be cues so. No one has an excuse for for not taking two <laughs> seconds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and those things, it's it's just an awareness thing. If you if you haven't thought about all the little actions and things that happen throughout your day before, in that context of oh, that's a cue, I could use that for something. Yeah. It's not something you just notice. Like I hadn't really thought in that way until I read Tiny Habits by B.J. Fogg, and I was like, holy cow, mm-hmm. I've got cues all over the place. He calls them prompts in his book, but they're, they're literally everywhere all throughout my day. And I can use any of these to change, not just how I act, but how I think more importantly, how I think. Um, yeah. and, and when it does come to habits, I think that's one point I wanted to touch on a little bit. Um, I think when people think of habits at the, at the beginning, it can be intimidating because they're trying to think of, okay, what are the things I want to do every day? And like that, mm-hmm. that already is kind of a big, thing like what's something I want to commit to do every day for the rest of my life (laughs) yeah (laughs) and people immediately go to things like oh I want to work out more or I want to eat this certain way which are pretty radical you know big changes and things to commit to but I think the much more powerful way to think about habits is is more of that mental mental habits how do I want to think what are the small changes I want to make to my thought processes um, over time instead because that will translate into actions and behaviors and lifestyle yeah and I think one there I think I think you're right that like people like they go for the really big stuff, but they like they really I think don't believe if there's like one thing I could do and say like, you know, flip the switch and everyone would believe this, it would be, you know, that like the, those little actions do like reliably lead to bigger changes. You know, they do. It's really hard to trust. It's so hard because it takes some time sometimes. But like um because those are the things those are the things where we can get like get our reps in essentially, you know, like where we can make that like you know, this is 0.1% like towards more towards the person I want to be. Um, if we keep making those kind of decisions and kind of flowing through our day with like, with, with the thing, the cues that come up, you know, 10, 15, a hundred times a day, and we can practice making the decision we want to make in those moments. That's so much more um, evidence for yourself that you can be that person. than like, did I get to the gym, you know, X number of times mm-hmm. this week? Um, you know, it's like, you know, you know, you know, the Saturday, but like, you know, did I, you know, put my running shoes on, you know, and like, you will get there. It Like, it's not, it's not that like, like, cause, because people, because they think of it as like this big, like, you know, I'm, am I going to do this the re- every day for the rest of my life? Um, then I think they think that like, that's the, that's what they're committing to and that it's not going to change, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, I'm going to go to the gym every day. If, and then if you, if you downsize that into like a minimum viable kind of, um, action, then, um, you know, if you downsize that to like, I'm going to, you know, put on my running shoes every morning, I think people, cause they, they apply that mindset, that big, 
like go for it mindset to like the little action and they're like, but I don't want, but it's, it's not the running shoes. It's not the running shoes that I want to have on it. I want to go to the gym and extra, or I want to, you know, go for a jog. Um, so just knowing that like, yes. So like maybe, you know, committing to like putting your running shoes on five days a week for the rest of your life, one much less scary, but also like that doesn't mean that like you can't, <laughs> doesn't mean it's not going to like evolve. <laughs> Yeah. And I think one of the important things there is like the goal shouldn't be to necessarily prove the positive extreme. Like if your goal is to prove I'm the kind of person who works out every single day for the rest of my life, if you haven't gotten off the couch in a week or a month or something like that is huge. But if you can just prove, disprove the negative extreme, which is first Mm -hmm. of all, a lot easier to do, but that's such a good place to start. So just prove to yourself I'm not the kind of person who can never work out in my life. And it's not just working out, but it's yeah. anything. Yeah. Because all you need to, to disprove that negative extreme is one piece of evidence. Yeah. If you work out yeah, one it, time or you do one push up, yep. you have just disproven the negative extreme. And so then yeah. you can start building a new belief. And I think that goes back. Um, that's, it can also be applied to what we were talking about, about perfectionism. It's like, it's that black and white thinking um, that like is so tied up with perfectionism where like, it's, you know, we want to think like we're not our, per- we're not any particular way permanently. Um, we're not any particular person permanently in terms of like, you know, our identity shift and that sort of thing. And we have at least, you know, a fair bit of control, not all the control, but we have a fair bit of control over that. Um, but the way to get there is not to like bully yourself into doing it. It's to show yourself that you, um, you can, I don't know. It's to, it's to show yourself that like, it's working rather like you're, you know, it's show yourself that it can work rather than just show yourself like all the things that to focus on all the things that like are not working yet. And that's, that's another word I, I like, that's the trick that I use with people is just like add, like, I can't do X, Y, Z yet. You know, mm-hmm. and that's an example of like one of those little tiny like triggers where you're like, whenever I say I can't do blah, 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 add yet, you know? <laughs> wow. I love that. I haven't heard that before. That's really good. That's really good. Okay. Well, Jamie, we are coming up close to the end of our time. I do want to give you the opportunity if you want to, is there any final message you want to share? One point that you want to make to our listeners or a challenge that you'd like to give out? Um, I guess this is both because it's hard to do, but it's important and it's actually kinder to yourself. Um, start with where you are. That's my big thing is that start with who you are and where you are. Um, it's important to have goals. It's important to, you know, reach for stuff, but um, do it to actually make that happen. Um, you can't, you can't start from another place than where you are. It's like (laughs) actually impossible, but if you keep that in mind, um, sometimes it's easier to quiet down the chatter and take more action and, uh, less, less talking to yourself. (laughs) Love that. Well, again, thank you so much for this conversation. I learn something new every time we talk. It's always a pleasure. So, I'm sure we'll we'll talk soon. For sure.